And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, taping this on Thursday afternoon, part one of a two-part podcast. We had some news late yesterday in typical Kawhi Leonard fashion, off the top rope, out of nowhere, just in a press release. And Om Young Wisuk, I got this, I happened to get this press release. Like I happened to be checking my email when the press release came through. And it said Clippers and Kawhi Leonard agreed to extension. Didn't say the terms. Subsequently, as these things happened, a couple minutes passed, Woj got the terms. Three years, $153 million, which is uh, a win on multiple levels for the Los Angeles Clippers. It is a, I think, validation of the James Harden trade. Depending on how this season unfolds, it could... Validation probably isn't the right word, but I think the jury is out on whether the Kawhi PG era has been quote unquote a success. And in fact, before this season, the jury was kind of ready to like slip the verdict back to the judge and it wasn't going to be great. Maybe this changes that this is a, a, and the Clipper all along I said, and others said, but I was, I was adamant about it from the beginning. The Clippers cannot and will not just hand these dudes ironclad max four or five year extensions. They haven't played enough. They haven't done enough. And they held out apparently and got a three year extension that starts at the max and goes flat from there. So it's not even a max extension. It's a win on multiple levels for the Clippers. And oh my God, the email, I was checking my email. Rarely am I like on email and the message comes in and I had, there's, this is not a scoop. When you get an email, when you get a press release and you tweet the press release, that's not a scoop. You've accomplished nothing journalistically, but I did have this window. I checked Twitter and nobody had tweeted it yet. I had this window where I could have been the first reporter to tweet the existence of this press release. And when no one had tweeted it, I was like, I don't know. This is Kawhi. Like, is this a scam? Is this like, is this a fake email? Let me check the email address again. I didn't want to be the guy to put like, put it out there. And it ends up not, I'm so paranoid. I was like, I might be and. It's not a scam. Ohm, were you surprised? First of all, how are you? And second of all, were you surprised? Uh, Zach, what's going on, buddy? Um, I I don't recognize these Clippers, Zach. First of all, the way they've been winning games, that I, I mean, they, they haven't played like a dominant game where they just like are just dominating from start to finish. Maybe New Orleans might be the closest, okay? But they have stretches where they're not playing good basketball, but they're handling their business. And that's something that I haven't seen in the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George era where they are routinely handling their business, finding ways either if they blew a lead to just regroup and win in the fourth quarter and close teams out, or they start off bad and they come back and then they play their best in the fourth quarter. I have not seen that from this team. And now we've got superstars not only wanting to stay Zach Lowe, taking a pay cut a little bit, like not taking the four-year max extension, which I think according to Bobby would have been like two years, 233, sorry, four years, $233 million. Um, Kawhi left a year on the table and some, I don't know, maybe 70 million or something like that that he could have potentially got. So, and then told us late last night, uh, you know what? I've talked to the other guys, meaning James and Paul, when we asked him specifically about why he took less and one year less and how that might help him keep Paul and uh, James. And he basically said uh, everybody, for the most part, he did put for the most part, is coming back from his conversations. Um, we then spoke to Paul, though, Zach, late last night, and Paul made it sound like he was, he was thrilled for Kawhi to come back. 
He said he loves playing with Kawhi. He's optimistic he will remain a Clipper. But also, did when we asked him, how close are you to an extension compared to when the season started at training camp? He said, we're working through it. So I would imagine Paul George probably, I don't know this for sure, but I would think he'd probably want more years maybe. Um, but I think the Clippers want to align both stars. And they've set the table now for Paul George and James Harden, who cannot negotiate a contract until after the NBA Finals, for a potential return for these guys to probably be aligned for the exact same amount of time. And I was surprised, Zach, because like you, I had heard, well, the Clippers were saying this is a prove-it season. We're in no rush to give them an extension. We're not going to give them the max extension. I thought they were going to wait to the end of the year. I mean, it turns out to be great for both of them because, look, if something happens to Kawhi Leonard injury-wise, knock on wood, um, he's got his money. And you know what? The Clippers get him at a price that helps them moving forward to try to stay competitive and keep a, a roster that can compete for a title. Yeah, people were asking me yesterday, oh, what's your what's your take on this? You know, what do you think? And it's kind of like the inverse of when somebody gets hurt, like there's a serious injury. People are like, what's your take? I'm like, hey, my take is it's like it's bad. Like I don't have a lot of like insightful stuff to say about like this injury. It's, it's not good for the guy or the team. This one was the inverse. They're like, it's good. It's good for the team. Like happy for Kawhi. Like it's obviously good for the Clippers. Um, I think if they are able to lock up Paul, uh, before the playoffs, like anytime you can go into the playoffs without anything hovering over you, like your, your margin for error in the playoffs is nothing. Your margin to be able to absorb like a, a, the brain of a player that's like 3% focused on something that's not winning the game in front of you is basically yeah. zero. So if you can eliminate those distractions, that's big. And Kawhi has been playing since the three and seven start like a top five to eight player in the yeah. NBA again. And if the, if he can maintain that as a short-term deal, it's a big win for the Clippers. In fact, when people ask me for my take, kind of the first thing I thought about bizarrely sort of was Philadelphia, who is sitting there with a good team to a great team and the only good to great team with max cap space this summer and keeps seeing guys, if they're not going off the board, their availability is as free agents is becoming murkier. Now, Kawhi is now essentially off the board as a free agent. Drew Holiday, we'll see, but he got traded to a contender. OG Ananobi just got traded to the Knicks, who happened to employ his uh, his agent's father as their general manager. Um, and, and the reason that's interesting to me is I think Philly's got to be all in to win this season. I think they're going to make a trade of some kind with all this stuff they got from the Clippers via the Thunder too in the Harden trade. And I think as these targets go off the board slash become a little bit less available to them, I think it just, I think they need to say, we got to prioritize this season over keeping this cap space open because they're running out of people to use it on. And cap space is obviously valuable, not just for free agents, but for trades too. But to me, it, it pushes the Philly urgency to another level. But as for the Clippers, you know what, Om? They started three and seven. <laughs> They're 21 and six since then. And we wake up today on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning. They are tied in the loss column with the Denver Nuggets, who are third in the West. There's a top four in the West that has really separated itself. Minnesota. They're number one. They're four and five in their last nine games. They've they play each other. A little bit. Clippers play Minnesota coming up, I think, Sunday. Big game. Uh, four and five in their last nine. Their offense, just it just can't get going. Oklahoma City is is second in the West, tied with Minnesota in the loss column. They've been a little more rickety is not the right word, but they haven't been as like holy 
dominant in the past 10 to 12 days. Their road trip was a little shaky. They're young. They're awesome. Denver and the Clippers. Those are the four best teams of the West. And like, boy, oh boy, you think of those names and think of who's not there. The Lakers, they just, you know, they're 500. They can't score. They're going to be all over the trade market trying to figure out, do we need to make a trade? Who can we get? Phoenix, one game over 500. Basically can't do anything in the fourth Bla- quarters of those games. Blasted twice by the Clippers in the last like week and a half. 138-111 uh, a couple of days ago. Um, Golden State just getting shellacked two games in a row, totally demoralized, totally uncompetitive, and has reached a point in their season where it's do we do we rescue ourselves or like can we can this does this team really have it in them given how demoralized they've been, how much turmoil there's been from Kaminga to the injuries to Draymond and all this to Chris Paul now being out? And I think they miss Chris Paul's like just competitive edge. And and valuing every possession, like when a team is going through something like the Warriors are going through, having a guy who's just like, let's just maximize every possession. It could really help. They've they're reached a, they've been so bad lately that they're at the point where it's like, is it even worth it for us to like make a win now trade? Or do we go the other way and start thinking about next season more than anything else? Dallas is playing well. New Orleans is playing well. So there's a little bit of flux. But those top four are where they are. And the L.A. Clippers. Sixth in offense, tenth in defense, fourth in net rating. They just passed the Minnesota Timberwolves in net rating. The Harden trade has worked. Now, the ultimate test will be good. You talk to anyone with the Clippers. You talk to these guys all the time. They don't even. They're like. Um, they're like dudes in a baseball dugout in the sixth inning of a no hitter. They don't even want it. They're like, it's long yeah. season. We can't talk. We've done nothing. Can't talk about it. We yeah. don't want to talk about it. But you think, Ohm, of where these guys were five straight losses to open the Harden era, six straight overall. And the last one, that humiliation against the Nuggets when Reggie Jackson and Gian- DeAndre Jordan got into the way back machine against yes. the Clippers. They talk about that game. If you like, I was asking around some people yesterday, like, when did like, how 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 much doubt did you have, or how much despair did you have, and what turned it around? Was there a meeting? Was there a was there some sort of adjustment? Was there something within your culture? Was there a moment? And they're like, no, we just kind of continued, you know, slogging along, developing. But they point to that loss as the loss where it's like that was rock bottom. And that was the moment we had to decide, like, do we want to fight back from this? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know if you agree or disagree with me. The championship window is open for the Clippers. That's how good they've been. (laughs) Uh, Look, I I agree with you. I still think there's a six, eleven, seven foot. Serbian guy that's going to have something to say about that. Oh, I just said the window yeah, is open. Yeah. I didn't say that it's like uh, that open. I, I, I just said it's open <laughs> a little bit. But I will say this. I, I often think when I watch James Harden and he hits his little shake and bake contested three-pointer and swishes it time and then come again, I hear some Clipper executives in my head. And what I hear is during that time when they were in that five, six-game losing streak, James Harden is good. James Harden is an elite passer. James Harden is better than what people think he is. And he's still a great player. And it was almost like a lot of times they would say that, like trying to not really convince you, me, uh, about the trade, but just reinforcing that they made this trade. They have the belief that James Harden 
is still a great player and he just needed to kind of ramp up, get back into shape, get used to the Clippers. The Clippers get used to him and he has unlocked these guys. He's unlocked Ivica Zubats, man. I mean, behind the scenes, James Harden, Ivica Zubats, Daniel Tice, Brandon Boston, and I think Kobe Brown, they all work together for about 15, 20 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes after every shoot around, after every practice on pick and rolls. James tells them what he wants where he wants the screens to be, what he wants on this role, everything like that. There's all this communication. And what you're seeing is something that James told me. is like, maybe nobody's ever worked on this with Ivisa Zubats. I'd like to think that there have been point guards that have. Uh, he's like, but James Harden's like, but when you do this, you now see Ivisa Zubats' confidence. You see when someone believes in him and what he's doing. And what we've seen is some monster games you know, 15 and 19, 15 and 20, uh, you know, 20 and 19. Um, he's capable of doing that. But then the the ability of him to get, and it could look like the most simple pass, Zach, just like a little simple lob to the corner. Kawhi Leonard's getting the ball in ways that he might not necessarily get if Paul George or somebody else was throwing that same ball to him. Maybe it's a 50-50 chance that ball's going to get to him. With James Harden, it's getting to him about like 90% of the time. You know what I mean? And I think it's setting, he's now learned in these spots where to catch him, where to be effective, how to get to his mid-range spots. And Kawhi, when healthy, has been unbelievable. I'll say they still haven't played, I think, defensively. And that you mentioned them being 10th. I don't think we've seen outside of New Orleans. New Orleans was a great defensive effort, especially at New Orleans, a place they had lost like 11 straight or whatever it was. But I still think they can get way better on defense. Their transition defense, if you watch it, if they have a turnover, it's almost like an automatic basket for the other team at the other end. I don't really know if that's just because they're old and they're slow or something like that, and they just don't get back. But I think defensively, they can lock down even more, which is really scary. And yeah, there are times like the Lakers with their length and the Lakers wanted that game even more than the Clippers, I guess. But there are times when the Lakers took them out of their comfort zone offensively. It was a bad game for Harden. It was a bad game for Kawhi. I think they still need to learn. I, I looked at that game as actually a learning experience for them. But I'll say this about that Denver loss. I'll never forget it. Ty Lue was, whew, he was in a bad mood after that game, and rightfully so. But he kept saying to us, I believe in this team. I believe we're going to turn it around. I believe in this talent. I believe in James Harden. I, I am not losing confidence in this team. And I think that really kind of carried them through that six-game losing streak. So when the Harden trade happened, I wrote that I, – I went back and looked at what I wrote. And I wrote that you know they're unquestionably better now than they were before the trade. I said they went from no chance to a puncher's chance. Yeah. And I meant like to make the finals. I think they have more than a puncher since I think that actually undersold it. And I, and I said at the time, you know, a lot of people, particularly the people who did not like this trade, their standard for it. And I didn't love it. Like I was, I was like, you know, it's James Harden. Like I've seen James Harden crap the bed in too many big games to be like, yes, James Harden is on this championship. It's over. They've got it. Um, that was lukewarm, but to a lot of the people who really just hated it reflexively, like they have the, they have like a hardened gag reflex. Um, the standard by which they judged the trade was like, well, are they as good as Denver or are they favorites to make the West? And I remember saying at the time, like, you can't, that can't be the standard. Like, if yeah. that's the standard, then no one is ever going to make a trade. And I went back and, and I looked at what I wrote and I really believed this in my gut. It's like, 
this team could lose in the first round, lose in the second round, whatever. If if we get to a point where you look at the way they're playing and you say to yourself, oh, that's a serious team. Like, that's a serious team that's playing serious basketball. That team has a chance. That's a good trade. That's a successful trade. This is a serious team right now. This team is playing serious, sophisticated basketball on both ends of the floor. And whatever happens from here on out, and like hopefully they all stay healthy. We know that Kawhi and PG have had a million health issues over the years. I think I think that if they can keep this groove going, they have another level they can hit. That's a really serious team. You mentioned a couple things. Zoo. Zoo has been so good. And we've talked, you and I, about the work that he and Harden do behind closed doors and how Harden kind of initiated that. He's been so good. Teams are shooting 49% at the rim against Zoo. That's like one of the, that's like Gobert level rim protection. He's been so good that the Clippers, who have still one first round pick to trade and some, some fungible salary and PJ Tucker and some other stuff, I think that's a position where they can say, we're good there. Like, we don't have to go chase an upgrade at starting center. I do think, um, and I don't know what you've heard, I think the Clippers are still looking around. I think they're going to be aggressive at the trade deadline. Specifically, they play as a little small when Kawhi is off the floor. Kawhi is kind of the default power forward now. Um, They've got that one pick. They've got money. I think they're going to look around at like either tweener forward types. Like if there's, I would be shocked if there's not some conversation between the Nets and the Clippers about Finney Smith, yeah. Royce O'Neal. Oh, Finney Smith would I could be great. Maybe, hmm? I, Finney Smith would be great. I, I think like, yes, PJ Tucker is a guy that I think they have to figure out what they're going to do with him. Plumley, they they have like a lot of bigs now, but I would make this argument if the Clippers. I like, the- by the way, that they're. I like that they're keeping Tice in the rotation over Plumley. I think the. I think Tice is a. He's undersized. I know Plumley's a bigger, better passer. All that. I think Tice's ability to play foul line and out is like allowing Russ to be on the floor, and Russ has been. Russ just comes in and like makes shit happen. It's unbelievable what the guy does. But I'm sorry, go ahead. You mentioned yeah, Plumlee. Yeah, I mean, I would say this like I think Plumlee is probably better than Tice. I think right now you don't want to mess with what you have, and I do think Tice can stretch the floor better than than Plumlee. But I do think they need a more consistent. If I were to have my way of how to make this team even better, yeah, would they love to have a Nas Reed type of guy? Absolutely, uh, a big that can stretch the floor for them. I do think they do need another tweener four because they got rid of too many Covington and Batum. You know, they, well, they need can't those... do both these things or maybe they right. can. I don't no, know. I don't think they, they can. But if they if you're looking at for little things to enhance this team, they could just use another guy to spread the floor, I think, for them, because you're right. When Russ is on the floor, when when Russ is really focused and things don't go downward during his very limited minutes. I mean, he's trying to fit everything in in 17 minutes. I think the other night he only played like 14. That's really tough for him. But he has to bring the hustle. He has to bring the energy, the steals, those type of momentum-turning plays, the little things that get them going. At least one, ro- at least one rocket yeah. baby per 12 minutes yeah. for Russell Westbrook. At least one. Yeah, and, and I, I think he's trying his best. He really is. You know, I mean, there are times when he still gets, you know, angry and he's totally sees red, Hulk, Russ, Russell Westbrook, understandable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I think if they can find these things, I still think, though, at the end of the day, if they do trade Plumley for, say, you know, Plumley played, I think, in a G League game the other day, and they're saying they're ramping him up, but really, I just don't think they want to mess with what they have with Tice. 
uh, going so far. I think they're going to need Plumley down the stretch, dude. I, I just feel like you need those extra bodies to battle Joker. You know what I mean? Or Anthony Davis or, you know, even the bigs in, in Minnesota. I think they're going to need those guys. I mean, if you want to say they can add another backup guard, maybe. I mean, yeah, I guess they got Bones. They don't really play Bones a lot. And they uh, don't They don't want small guards. The one thing right. this team has telegraphed is we don't have any small guards. There's no mismatch for your team to hunt on our team. Like Terrence Mann's kind of the smallest guy we play, and thank yeah. God he's taking and making threes again. Yeah. Not only do we, the Clippers, not have any small guards, they're designed to hunt your small guards. And that was the whole construction of this team. We put these three dudes together. There is no, and one of them is one of the greatest pick and roll orchestrators of all time. Another one of them is one of the greatest isolation scorers of all time, Kawhi Leonard, who, by the way, he is having, according to Second Spectrum, his most efficient isolation season of his career right now on the second highest isolation volume, 14 per 100 possessions of his career. You can't hide any bad defender, big or big and slow or small and overmatched size-wise. You can't hide against us. So I don't know if small guard's the answer. I mean, like we taught tweener forwards, everything you were just saying about shooting and spacing and Nas Reed is like the eight. Obviously, the Wolves are not trading Nas Reed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kept thinking of Kelly Olenek. And, oh, he'd be great um, for them. You, Utah is Utah is on the verge of getting into the play-in, and Kelly Olynyk <laughs> has been really valuable as like a stretch five slash point center slash can play with John Collins in in a lot of different lineups. So who knows? But I do think they'll be aggressive. Um, I mean, look, and, they can always call. They, their they don't old have, I'm not saying they got to trade Plumlee either. I agree yeah. with you. Like they can make these trades without taking away from their playing rotation, basically, if they include that pick. Yeah, they can always call their old friend, you know, the fighting wingers in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, see what else is there that the Wizard could give up. I don't know. Maybe there's Avdi or something like that, whatever the Wizards, you know, might try to do. But, I mean, like, I, I think there is a deal for them to make. They always make a deal before the end of the trade deadline. But at this point, you know, Lawrence has said this the other day, Lawrence Frank, we happen to just make our big swing trade way before the trade deadline. And that has been a boon for us because as opposed to us trying to figure things out in February, we had to figure it out in November. And it's so much better than than the alternative. And now I think they can just look at trying to enhance this team a little bit more because I'm telling you, Zach, I haven't seen good teams take care of business. You know, Zach, you know that. Great teams do that. They find ways to win. They may not play their best every night, but they find a way to consistently get the job done in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's funny, man. Kawhi, you know, when Kawhi played his first 27 games, I wrote a story about how this is the healthiest we've seen Kawhi as a Clipper. Actually, healthiest we've seen Paul and Kawhi because they had played 23 straight. That was the longest stretch of consecutive games those two had played together. And so I went to Kawhi and I told Kawhi, I'm not sure if I remember telling you the story. I told Kawhi, I said, Kawhi, um, you know, do you think you've proven people wrong? All these people when the player participation policy that came out, you know, all these outlets slapped a picture of you and Paul on there as the examples for that story. And he, he didn't understand because he's not online. So he said he didn't explain to me further. He thought it was the league that had put that picture of them up with them. I said, no, no, no. I said, it's, it's, it's the other outlets like Yahoo. Is more. And he goes, oh, well, maybe we should sue for what do you call it? Negligence. <laughs> I feel like that quote can be. Wait, 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 wait. If you're going to tell a Kawhi joke, 
I think you have to do your best attempt at the Kawhi laugh. He didn't do, do the, the laugh. Kawhi that laugh? was the only thing that was. No, but missing. I'm saying, I'm saying you have to do it. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Like it was just like. All right. Let me get. Let me get. Hold on. Let me get a shot. Ha 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 ha. I I got. That's, I gotta a, that's look a good at the, one. That's the, a good the, one. The, the, there's some cadence to it. I I don't think. I want to read like what happened. I I actually want to hang out with Kawhi. If only I want to be in a social situation where he laughs because that can't have been like a normal like a person's body and mouth don't actually do that normally. Something had to have gone haywire. I, I, in his I have heard him laugh just like in in a locker room at time, and I think it's a little bit like that. It's not as like. As as like the one in the Toronto press conference, not like that. I, my mind wandered the other day, Zach. You'll like this one. Sitting courtside the other night was Adam Sandler in Kawhi seats. So I started thinking, oh my god, is Adam Sandler and Kawhi friends? And then I started thinking, like, oh my god, what are their conversations like? <laughs> but I don't know. It could have just been Kawhi gave his seats to the Clippers that night, and the Clippers gave it to, San- to Adam Sandler. Who knows? But in my mind, I just started thinking, like, what if Adam Sandler and Kawhi are friends? That'd be unbelievable. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the biggest movie stars in the history of the world. What an improbable career arc for Adam Sandler. Um, Clippers. You know, I said they're a serious team. I think you made the exact right point to zero in on their defense. No one is talking about their defense because when superstars come together like this, including two incredibly, well, three, if you count Russ, ball dominant superstars, everybody watches the offense. Like, how is this going to work? How are they going to split up the touches? Is is this guy going to diminish that guy? Is that guy going to be unhappy? Is Kawhi really just going to like stand in the corner and watch the James Harden show? And so your eyes gravitate to that. I think their offense has been, I mean, the numbers say it's been really good. To me, they have found pretty quickly a good balance on offense. Like James Harden runs the show. It's his show. And on a lot of possessions, Kawhi and PG are spot up guys. And they'll sprinkle in some like off ball action to make sure they're still involved. It's not um, as station to station as you thought, as you said initially. Remember, right? It, it, I didn't say it. Ty Luce. Well, I said yeah, it. Ty Luce yeah. said we can't walk around on offense. Yeah. That is like the quote of the season for the Clippers to me. We can't walk around on offense. I don't remember the last time a coach so succinctly diagnosed what was wrong with their team than that in whatever amount of words that is. But then you'll see like, I I mentioned Kawhi's isolation volume being exactly where it's been at the height of his career because they'll still run a lot of like hardened Kawhi two-man game, get me a mismatch, get me to the nail. And yeah, Zoo is down there. And his, he and his guy are clogging the lane so Kawhi can't get all the way to the lane. But Kawhi can get a good shot off whenever he wants. Zoo is like top five in offensive rebounding rate. So if he's down there and the shot misses, you got a chance to tip it out. Like they're fine. And Paul Paul George, like just he needs nothing. Like he, he will just <laughs> shoot and cut and curl his way into 23 points every night. They have found to me, you know, they'll spice it up here and there the right mix on offense they're even like they'll push the pace selectively when they see a chance to do it i think they should do more of that but i always think teams should do more of that to me you know again they're 10th in defense they're not the 2008 celtics they're not unbelievable but i've seen enough of them when they dial in not only the numbers when they dial in but the eye test when they dial in this is a sophisticated serious team and by that i mean you will see them like Ty Lue's pressing a lot of buttons and you will see them like um, 
oh, there's a couple non-shooters on the floor. Let's start blitzing the pick and roll. Let's have Zoo blitz, which is not something you do with a big guy like Zoo that much. Let's have him blitz and we'll help and scramble and we'll force the ball to those bad shooters on the perimeter. You've seen them play zone here and there. You've seen them mess with the matchups like they play the Pelicans and Kawhi goes to the bench. You're like, you know what, Zoo, you guard Zion and we'll put Russell Westbrook on Larry Nance Jr. because we don't think he can hurt us in any possible way posting up. That worked. We've seen them. I've seen them do things like, um, the bad shooter is in the strong side corner where normally you're not supposed to help. The players, either on the fly or the coaches alerting them to this, will break the normal rules of NBA defense and be like, we're going to help on the strong side corner. And when there's when there's like a like a, a, an improvised switch or something, they just nail it. When there's a, a double team or even somebody makes a mistake, they are all head on a swivel, covering ground, covering space, covering for each other in a way that suggests to me like it's tactically sophisticated. Everybody is engaged. They're playing lots of different styles. And to your point, they're a little older. They're a little slower. There are going to be some nights where they're like, yeah, we don't really feel like bringing it tonight. They have showed me enough that when they dig in and dial in, they can be in elite defense and specifically in elite defense in a way that translates to the postseason. And Kawhi, by the way, not getting as much attention because his offense is so good. Oh, yeah. You need me to guard Zion for 30 minutes tonight? I can do that. Oh, we're playing the Suns tonight? Give me the KD assignment. Like, he, he's kind of back on defense, too. Like, they're, I know the numbers don't show it, and you're right to point out that the defensive numbers are just good but not great. I've seen enough. I think this can be a really good defensive team. I think there are, and Lawrence said this last night, there are flashes when they show that they can be elite defensively uh you see Kawhi take on Steph Curry but not just in the fourth quarter Zach he's taking him on like in the third in the second quarter he's taking them earlier in the past you would see them save Paul or Kawhi to the end of the fourth quarter to put them on the other superstar just because they wanted to keep these guys healthy that those days are gone like this season is like basically what they've always wanted to be Start out from the gates strong in the regular season and play the way you want to play, not just save them for the playoffs. I think the other thing with James, there were a couple of things that he's gotten by hurdle-wise that we thought, okay, these are potential pitfalls for James, right? One is like, okay, if James comes here and he doesn't like what he sees, guy, you know, like what happens if Kawhi Leonard isn't playing all the time or Paul George is injured? We've seen James Harden when he first gets traded. He's on his best behavior until something in his head is not right or he doesn't like what he sees like Kyrie not getting vaccinated or whatever it may be. Right. And I thought, well, what happens if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George aren't playing all the time and James Harden's busting his ass, he's going to be like, well, why should I be busting my ass if the two leaders on this team aren't busting their ass too? Well, the two leaders on the team have been busting their ass. So that's also meshed very well with James Harden. I think James Harden and Russ, you know, they don't always play great together on the floor during their minutes. I think the numbers say that, but Ty Lue keeps trying them out there every now and then, and they try to make that work. I think you've seen them off the court. They look fine. You see them dancing, you know, whatever uh, on the bench like they usually do. It might not always work well on the court together between those two, but they found a way to win. I think everybody now is saying the detractors, uh, the hardened detractors will probably say, okay, you know, it's working for now. Let's see what happens with playoff Harden, right? And I would argue that playoff Harden, you don't have to rely on Harden for this team. You've got Kawhi and Paul. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think Harden still misses a good share of wide open catch and shoot threes, and he'd rather shoot the tougher contested sidestepping three. Uh, but, you know, I think that's what's going to help this team in the playoffs. I don't think you have to put everything on there. Harden is not the number two option like he was in Philadelphia. He can all be the need, number three option. All they need from James Harden is, frankly, what Philadelphia needed, which is can you just play like a B, B minus game? Like, don't crap the bet. Same thing on defense. Like, he's been fine on defense because he's not falling into a coma like 10 possessions every game and just standing there while the action takes place around him. You mentioned catch and shoot threes. I'm glad you brought that up. Harden is taking two a game. For most players, that's not that many. For James Harden, that's like a sea change in volume. 43%. It still doesn't, it still take- doesn't look comfortable, Zach. Like, every fine. We're time I watch it, I have to like... Right. <laughs> Baby steps. Baby side steps. Um, Kawhi Leonard taking three a game, 46%. Norm Powell, who I was astonished how many people thought Norm Powell was superfluous because they had acquired another ball handler. I'm like, this is great for Norm Powell. He's a 45% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter who should do nothing but shoot threes and drive downhill when there's an alley, and he can just do that now. He's 48% He's on catch-and-shoot threes. He's been terrific. Their lineup which is the four starters, but Powell in place of man is plus 63 in 83 minutes. That is absolutely bonkers. Their starting five is plus 103 in 317 minutes. That's plus 16 per hundred possessions. They're just, they're just killing it with their, with their core lineups. And, you know, Ty Lu, I, I mentioned all the tactical stuff they're doing. I'm just, this is just sticking in my head from the Phoenix game. Um, a couple of days ago, I loved this sequence of events and decisions from Ty Lue. Third quarter, Suns go Durant at center. Just out of nowhere, Frank Vogel's like, we're going super small, Durant at center. Not only that, everyone on the floor can shoot at first. Like Josh Okogie wasn't on the floor. Was, there was no place to put Zoo. Just five perimeter shooters all around. And you know what Ty Lue did? He said, you know what? Screw you. We're keeping Zoo on the floor and we're going to see if he can beat the crap out of you because you're too small and we're going to see if you can punish us on the other end. And they played about even, and I loved it. I loved the show of faith in Zubats. I love the, like, we're not bending to what you're doing mentality. Start of the fourth quarter. They completely flip. Phoenix brings back a center, Drew Eubanks, and Ty Lue's like, we're going Kawhi at the five. How about that? How about we spring that on you? <laughs> I think He's making a run for coach of the year, which oh, everyone's yeah. already given to Mark Dagnall. We'll see how the season goes. I think Mark Dagnall's the front runner. He's unbelievable. But in the playoffs, the list of coaches I would take over Ty Lu might start and end at Eric Spolstra. Like that might be the entire list. And that's another big reason that I have a lot of faith in this team. Now, how much faith really do I have? I'm not like I would pick Denver over them. I think Denver is still the best team in the West. I think Boston is the best team in the NBA. But if you're the Clippers right now, with all due respect to the Timberwolves and the Thunder, I you can tell yourself, I'm not sure that I would call them yet the second best team in the West, although they have the second best net rating in the West behind the Thunder, actually. They might be the second best team in the West right now. Like if they think that internally, I I I don't have like a strong argument against them. They're playing that well and they've found the right mix of guys kind of on both ends of the floor i mean look i hate to be debbie downer but you know the thing we always have to worry about with the clippers is they're always one injury away knock on wood uh from disaster and and specifically of course Kawhi, and then of course 
Right. We have to see about this whole playoff Harden thing and how Harden does with this this squad in the playoffs. I you know, I wonder like I, I do agree with you about the Ty Lue Spolster thing. Like, if a team tries to take away the pick and rolls, let's say, you know, I think Miami went zone the other day against them to try to take away the pick and rolls. And Harden didn't have, like, the best game. But I believe Ty Lue will figure that out. You know, he'll figure things out. That's what he does. I think the other day Andrew Greif asked him specifically about when Phoenix went small. And, you know, you might you could have matched them. And Ty Lue was like, matched them? I'm not trying to match anybody. I, like, I loved it. And you know why I loved it? Because... <laughs> If I'm a Vita Zubats, I come out of that game like, I love this team. I love this coach. I love this roster. Look at the faith they showed in me. If I'm everyone else on the team, I'm like, I love that Ty was like, no, we play our way, period. And we're going to go small when we want to go small as a predatory move. I would, I, it was a small thing, but as a window into how he coaches, like if I were a player on that team, I would have been like, man, this is badass. I like this guy. Yeah. Look, you remember last year? When they had a uh, uh, two games at Dallas in a row, and they sent Zubats to cover Doncic to start the game, <laughs> and Doncic even had to look back at Jason Kidd and was like, "What do I do? Like, do we still run the same offense? Because this guy who I normally torch, and whenever I see him, I have the green light to shoot from wherever I want on the court. He's starting on me. Those are little things. These are little wrinkles that you know. Ty Lue is a mastermind. He'll bring it out in the regular season just just to keep other coaches on the edge or just to see how this might work and something to see if he can apply it in the playoffs. I love it. Now, again, there's a long way to go. They're 20th in defensive rebounding. They could use a little more size like we talked about. Although their defense, like I said, I, I have, I, I, I'm a believer. And if you look at the shot distribution they allow, they don't allow a lot of shots at the rim. And they allow like an average number of threes. It's a good shot distribution. Another thing, they're getting to the line. They're 12th in free throw rate, which this team, when they have been kind of eh, is eh because they don't get to the rim and they don't get to the line. It's hard to be really good when you don't do both of those. They still don't get to the rim much. They're always going to be a jump shooting team. This is what they are. They're a team made on elite catch and shoot, jump shooting from three and pull up shooting from two. But at least they're getting to the line. And look, I've got like, this is a 30-game sample size at this point. This is a really good team. They have a lot to prove. Denver has had their number for years. They finally beat Denver about 10 days ago or two weeks ago. Denver is the favorite in the West until further notice. But the Clippers, you know, they've won three playoff series in four years of Kawhi and PG. Like, that's just objectively a failure considering what they gave up. And we don't need to go through the litany of stuff that they gave up. Some stuff they might see in the playoffs facing them. Um, but they, as you said, first of all, they, I, people just gloss over the fact that they made the conference finals for the first time ever in the history of the franchise in 2021. It's a big deal. Two months ago, that looked like maybe their last best chance of the PG Kawhi era. And of course it ended with Kawhi being injured and them losing to the Suns in six games, a good six game performance by the Clippers. It's not their last chance anymore. Maybe it's their best. We'll see. But this team has cracked open the window, and I don't really think that's disputable the way they're playing. I think this team can absolutely get out of the West. They have proven that. I don't know what their chances are. Like I said, I would pick Denver still. But for us to be here saying this, and other people, I saw Doc Rivers went on the Bill Simmons podcast raving about their talent level and all this, considering where they were at 3-7 and and how much of a disaster it looked like, that's a hell of a turnaround. Yeah, I mean, you even have people like longtime 
you know, like they're the long time play by play guy on TV, Brian Seaman. The other night he said, I think it was during the New Orleans game, this is the best Clippers team I've ever covered. I think he said, this is the best I've ever seen him play for this long of a stretch, this dominant. And to me, I told Brian Seaman the other day when he said that, I was like, wow. Because he's seen some really good teams. He's seen the Chris Paul team. He's seen some Griffin, DeAndre. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and look, that team had stretches where they were great, too. And we thought they were going to go far. We've seen Kawhi Leonard and Paul George play very well together in the playoffs when they're healthy. But this stretch that they're in right now, and I get it. It's we've a regular jinxed, season. We, we've jinxed it. All, it's it's, it's 5, 12 p.m. on Thursday. <laughs> this podcast is coming out tomorrow morning at like 1030. At like 1035, there's going to be some news. Oh, no, like don't say Mason, that. Don't say that. Like Mason Plubly robbed a bank. <laughs> and the whole the whole Clippers team is in, in disarray. We've jinxed it. Om Young Wisuk, I will see. The Clippers have a few home games next week, at least two, I think. Oklahoma I will be out City, there. baby. Oklahoma City. We have Oklahoma City is playing Lakers and Clippers next week. I'll be there for both games. I'll see you out in L.A., my friend. Okay, man. Thanks for having me. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, time for part two, and I'm very excited to put it like this. Finally, Chris Herring is back at the Worldwide Leader, back at the Mothership, 538 Sports Illustrated, way back in the day, Wall Street Journal, all over the place. But Chris Herring is back covering the NBA for ESPN. We're thrilled to have you back, second to none in the business. Best-selling author, Spike Lee's best friend. I don't even know. Alumnus of the national champion, Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Chris, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. It's been a really good week because of what you just mentioned. But uh, but I'm really happy to be back on with you, man. Thanks for having me. Did they cheat, Chris? Did they cheat? I, I, I'm 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 not I'm not actually being. I don't care if they. I don't even care what happened. <laughs> I just know that the Michigan alumni base is so massive. It's like a supersized version of when Northwestern made the Sweet 16 in basketball and every sports journalist was going crazy about Northwestern. Like, oh, my God, where did all these Northwestern people come from? So I just like to needle. Every time I see my Michigan friends, I just like to needle. You have I to. I kind of hope they did cheat, actually. I hope they did. Well, one, I, I'm i terrible because I'm from Chicago, and I when I get time, I teach at Northwestern, but I've never really had 
what I feel is like enough of an affiliation to really care whether they win or lose. Michigan's different. My parents both went there and met there as grad students. Uh, you know, I was walking around as a two-year-old wearing Michigan stuff. I've been a fan dating back to when Cordell Stewart broke our hearts, you know, and my I dad about you know, that. Just, was you that know, the I five was a, down game? Is that was that, is that the or that didn't the, didn't Colorado win a five down game against? I think that was against Missouri. Never mind, it doesn't matter. That, I think that was Nebraska, if I remember that, or the kick or something like that. But anyway, it was that same split, you know, that the split title that Michigan won. So this is the first one since I was like nine, ten years old that they won a championship. Did we cheat? Yeah, uh, yeah, we did. Uh, but also, and I agree for the first time ever with the NCAA president, anybody in leadership that I'm glad that they got caught beforehand so that they could actually somewhat legitimize it by everybody knowing that we were looking for signs in a way that was not kosher and still beat you. So I um I appreciate that they got a chance to kind of show the world how great they were anyway, but I was there for the game Monday. I'm thrilled that they won up cloud nine for the rest of the week. So I am kind of joining you. I'm a kind of I'm kind of pro cheating in college sports. In fact, I have already pitched my alma mater publicly many times to hire me as athletic director, and I will break <laughs> every rule in the books until we make the tournament one time, and then you can revoke it ten years later. You can put me in jail. I don't care. It will bro, all be worth it. How do you have investigators investigating you before you have the job, bro? Like how? That because I'm new. good because I'm committed to winning, Chris. That's why I'm committed to winning. <laughs> Um, all right, okay. we're gonna do. We're halfway through the season. Um, that means it's a good excuse to pick all stars, which is also a good excuse to talk about random teams and trades and everything. Uh, you actually have an all star starters ballot this year. I do not. I surrendered mine uh, just to take a break. I was like, I'm gonna take a break from having a ballot and all mm -hmm. the noise and you know, not for all star necessarily, but the the termination of some bonuses and super maxes. I was like, I'm feel. I'm starting to feel a little icky. I'm I'm out. I'm out of the ballots for a year. Totally understood. Let's, let's start in the Eastern Conference to review the rules. There are five starters, obviously two guards and three front court players. The center designation does not exist in All-Star. That's all you vote for. Your full roster, which the coaches vote on the reserves and all that, is those five starters and the, the seven reserves are two guards, three more front court players, and two wild cards of either designation that you want uh and the league is actually pretty hard and fast now on like i don't think there are any players that are eligible at both guard and front court like jimmy butler used to float between positions um at least for all nba purposes he's just a front court player this year for instance let's start in the east first of all did you see the bucks celtics uh snow job last night yeah unfortunately i did <laughs> i imagine you, know, you did as well I did. I was excited for it. I did, and I stopped watching at halftime because the Celtics decided they were going to stop playing at halftime, which is completely fine with me. They were mm -hmm. down by a million points. Um, they had played at home the night before in a game that went to overtime against Minnesota and then had to travel to Milwaukee. That's a schedule loss to some degree. Now, that was not a – you don't pencil in like a 40-point first-half schedule loss. <laughs> but right. if the NBA – look, the NBA has – the schedule making the schedule is really hard. The in-season tournament has made it even harder. If the NBA wants these showdowns between teams we know going into the season are going to be two of the five best teams in the league, if you want these national TV showdowns to be good, I don't really care 
what you have to do at other points of the schedule for Boston. You could not have this be a back-to-back on the road. And yes, they couldn't have known the game went to overtime. Maybe they didn't think Minnesota was going to be this good. You just can't. You're setting up. I don't really care that you've set the Celtics up to fail and set the Bucks up to win. You've set X million viewers up for a game between two teams that this should be a mega game. The game before Thanksgiving between them was appointment mega game viewing that more or less lived up to the hype. Did you take anything away before we get to all-stars because these teams are going to be well represented in the all-star conversation. Is there anything you saw in the game that you just bookmark in your head for like, okay, yeah, that game, you just flush it down the toilet, but that thing the bucks did was interesting or that thing they figured out about Boston was interesting. Zach, I, I, you, and you and I text obviously sometimes before we pod, I tried really hard to look for something meaningful here. Um, and it was just really hard to, you know, like you said, the game, you obviously flush. It was really hard to come up with anything really tangible here just because of all the factors you mentioned. I really do think it's a good opportunity for for all of us to kind of look at the league, especially as they are coming down harder on teams and actually finding teams now for, hey, you knew that you had this game that we were putting on the air and you sat guys or, you know, with the Nets where you – played guys briefly, and then pulled them. If you're going to crack down harder about that, the league really does have more of a responsibility in certain cases to make sure that these games aren't back-to-back for certain teams. I want to say that, again, for either the second or now third year in a row, Embiid and Jokic, I think, have a game that will be similar, where it's going to be one of them, if not both, are going to have be coming off a back-to-back when they put this game on national TV. And I just don't understand... Granted, like you said, scheduling is hard. I've never had to do it. There's a lot of teams, a lot of games. They're not competing with the NFL on certain nights. And so they are, you know, jam-packing the schedule certain nights, the in-season tournament, as you mentioned. But in a situation like this where, again, we both knew going in that these were going to be marquee teams, even more so once the Bucks got Damian Lillard. Um, and granted, that happened after the schedules were out. But uh I think the league can do better in some of these cases. But I the one thing I was a little curious about at one point is that Missoula went to the zone defense so early in this game, and obviously the Bucks just torched everything. But again, this is a dog-tired team against a team that is extremely rested, hadn't played since Monday, I think. Uh, it, it obviously gave the Bucks a good opportunity to kind of get back on track during what's been a really rough, nasty stretch for them where they've lost four out of five. Yeah, uh, they even went to the zone after misses, which is unusual that you see teams run back and rush yes. into his zone. The only, the only, here are the only things I will mention from this game. Giannis guarded Drew Holiday in the first game. He guarded Jalen Brown. That's interesting to me because with the Celtics playing five shooters and often four perimeter players, the who is Giannis guarding question is one of the more interesting questions of this matchup. Pencil that one in. Um, I don't think it was until 51-23 that the Bucks played a single second with both Lillard and Giannis on the bench. And because of the way Giannis flows in and out of these games, he plays shorter stints than most players, Damian Lillard, most stars anyway. Dame plays the entire first quarter. There have been snippets of like higher leverage moments when both of them are on the bench. It seemed like the Bucks made an effort to not have that happen. That was interesting. And I just like the work. I mean, Beauchamp didn't play in the first half last night. Andre Jackson Jr. did. He had two big tip-out offensive rebounds. He's been good at that all season. We know what he can do defensively. He shot the three okay. 
and Beauchamp has this again. He didn't play any part of the game that I watched last night. He's been very sneaky, slithering around the dunker spot, kind of sliding across the paint for these cut baskets and offensive rebounds. I just want more minutes for the two of them because I I need if I'm the Bucks, I need to get to April and have a better idea whether they can help my team in the playoffs. That's it for thoughts on this game to the NBA ruining my night. And the Thunder <laughs> also ruined everyone's night by beating the Blazers yes. by 4,282 points. Oh, my God. The Blazers are unwatchable. Sorry, Blazers fans. Okay, let's start with the Eastern Conference All-Stars. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. You have a ballot. I don't. So people want to get mad. Let let me direct their ire to Chris Herring, whose votes Thanks. actually count. My votes are that. a mere vanity exercise compared to Chris <laughs> Herring's, which have enormous consequential impact on on earth i'll say um i really hate you so much because um, twitter now is going to be so much fun for the next few days <laughs> yeah so like my vote for goga batadze as the starting center for the eastern <laughs> doesn't matter i can do whatever i want um oh, so man. i think the east has four no-brainer stone cold lock starters one present injury um might complicate that a little bit but i don't i don't think enough um, do you agree? Did you have four starters you felt pretty easy penciling in? And if so, who were they? Yeah. And, you know, unless we're not thinking the same way here, uh, Embiid, you know, as an MVP candidate, reigning MVP, Tatum as a guy that has been, you know, the best player on the best team. Giannis is a guy that, again, is in the MVP conversation, playing really well, having life made easier for him on a Bucks team that is, is very good. And I think Tyrese Halliburton, clearly in my opinion deserves it is powering the the you know the most efficient offense in the history of the league um as of right now granted that i think that's the injury that you were talking about yes. so i think those four we feel pretty good about most people wouldn't have much argument um so those are the four that were relatively easy for me i think so that leaves one starting guard spot in my opinion in my opinion again is worth nothing in this debate it comes down there. There are three players I considered for that guard spot. And then I drew a little bit of a blurry line between these three guards and the rest of the guards. Okay. Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, and Tyrese Maxey. To me, they're in a tier by themselves. They will all be on my fake 12 man all-star team, no matter what. And then you draw a line. And then the next guards are Trey Young, Damian Lillard, Derek White, Ill-timed slump for Derek White, the cause celeb all-star of all NBA nerd Twitter with nerd Twitter president J.J. Redick going all in on the Derek White is an all-star. I think he absolutely has an all-star case. The last 10 days, he has not played well. He's not shot well, and, and the recency bias may hurt him a little bit. Um, I, I do think it's very interesting to talk about, like, you know, he's the fourth leading scorer on the Celtics. How many all-stars do you think the Celtics should really get? Do you think they should actually get four? If they get two, can you make a plausible argument that the second one should be Derek White over Jalen Brown and Kristaps Porzingis, whose game's played, I think is going to hurt him a little bit? I think that's a very interesting argument. But do you agree with me on the Maxi Mitchell, Brunson, triumvirate of candidates for this last spot? And who would you choose right now with the metaphorical Nerf gun pointed at your head? So that was where I landed on it too. I will admit that I I think I was a little bit more open 
to a fourth name there than you were uh, from the standpoint of I thought about it. It didn't, doesn't mean I went that way, but I've been really impressed with Trey this year too. Like, I mean, statistically for someone that we routinely complain about from the standpoint of this guy needs to be more efficient. He's done that. Uh, you know, he's never going to be, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be in an all the def- all league defender conversation. He has all sorts of limitations, but he's also brought a lot of that on himself from the standpoint of effort. I feel like that's been there more often. It doesn't mean it's been totally consistent. It doesn't mean he's DeJounte Murray from that standpoint defensively, but I feel like he's enough of the things that I've vented about and complained about. And I think that most of us have over the years, I feel like he's either improved or he's been a better version of himself from that standpoint. Does it help that the Hawks have been where they are and the conversation relative to the standings and everything else? Obviously not. And the the guys that we're discussing for this last spot as a starter are all in much better situations. But I'm just saying that I gave it brief, brief thought for him. Uh, so, but to all that and all that said, Brunson is the guy that I would pick here if I had to for for the sake of the fifth starter. I think I think Donovan Mitchell has been the best player of this group this season. Um. And normally I don't I don't care that much about games played and minutes played for All-Star once you hit a certain threshold. And we'll talk about a couple of players who are one I think is right below that threshold, one who I'm going to have on is right above it. Uh, but when you're talking about, you know, um, Jalen Brunson is averaging, let's see, 26 a game on 47% shooting, 42% from threes. Donovan Mitchell is averaging 28 a game, so two more points on slightly worse shooting and dramatically worse shooting on threes. Even though I think Donovan Mitchell has been a little bit better, Brunson playing like 300 more minutes or something is enough to swing that spot to me. And I think he's been a little bit better than Maxie, a little bit, although it's very close. I don't care for three of them. Whichever one you choose is fine. Let's talk about Trey Young. Because I can see, this is what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for this whole all-star discussion to devolve into Trey Young versus Derek White for one spot. Like, just Ooh. polar opposite candidacy. Yeah. <laughs> Trey Young, 28 points a game. 28 points a game. I don't care how much your team stinks. I don't care how bad you are on defense. You cannot dismiss 28 and 11, even in the year of our basketball gods, 2024. 43% shooting, not great. A lot of that is because he shoots a lot of threes. He's up to 36% on threes. 49% on twos is not great. Still griffs and shimmies his way to a lot of free throws. Hawks offense is way better with him on the floor. Um, Derek White, polar opposite candidate, um, is at 16 points a game. 12, 11, 12 points a game fewer. Um Obviously not as many assists and more of an equal opportunity offense, five assists, but 48% shooting, 41% on three. The gap on defense is like a galaxy. <laughs> it's it's not yeah. just the Grand Canyon. It's it's like intergalactic. It's like the it's best. It's probably more than defender. that 11 points, right? Yeah. That we're talking it, about that gap. And that's the thing. That's the thing that's hard to know is like, like how many more points could Derek White score efficiently if you just like took Jalen Brown off the Celtics and replaced him with another Drew Holiday or another guy who's like a, a third, fourth option type? And yeah. how much would that hit his efficiency? And you and and I think it's the same thing for Derek White versus Jalen Brown is like Jalen Brown's averaging, I think, 23, yeah. 24 a game. That's a seven, eight point gap. 
That's a lot of points. How much of that does that does Derek White make up for by being the best defensive guard in the league, by being one of the five best screening guards in the league, by being the Celtics' co-main pick-and-roll engine with Jason Tatum. Their best action is Tatum and, Brown and White screening for each other on and off the ball and just making good plays every second that he's on the floor. How much of that does that make up? Does he make up for? And for Trey, you know, when we're splitting hairs for All Star, and and I'm I'm not saying we're splitting hairs. And by the way, my answer might be neither of these guys make my All Star team. With the caveat mm -hmm. that Boston has to have two All Stars. Rarely do I make a declaration of like how many All Stars a team should have. Boston dominant. has to have two. Yeah. Has to have at least two. At least two. Um. Like, do I do I want to reward? Do I want to bring? If we're splitting hairs and it's hard to get on a, if a twelve man roster, fifteen man roster, whichever one's lobbying for, easy. Bring Trey Young in. The Hawks are fifteen and twenty one. They're one of the biggest disappointments in the entire league. Yeah. Almost their entire team is available for trade, other than I think Jalen Johnson and probably Trey Young. To which I would ask, why is Trey Young untouchable? And I wonder if the answer is because the Hawks know, like we might not get the bonanza offer at this point for Trey Young that we thought, uh, where we would need to get to to actually even entertain the idea of trading a guy that it defines our franchise and is frankly one of the greatest Hawks of all time already. Like people want to dismiss that playoff run from 2021. I get that the the Sixers had a complete meltdown, or Ben Simmons did anyway. Like I actually think Trey Young's becoming underrated. Um, I who was I? I was having a conversation about Trey Young compared to somebody else, Zach Levine, um, with an executive the other day. Okay, and I, you know, and and the topic was like, are these guys winning players? And I said respectfully, like I think Trey Young, that dude has proven he can be an offensive engine of a good team. What he did in the playoffs that year mattered. Even last year, like the Celtics for a brief second were like, oh my God, we don't really know what to do with this guy um, defensively. Like he's, he's, I think he's really good. Can I reward him with an all-star spot? I don't know. I can't start him though. So that's, and that's the only thing we would vote for. I think it's an interesting debate. Um, so I have three guys I have locked in as reserves. Would you like to hear them? Sure. And then we can do the reserve conversation. Yeah. Uh, by by the trust. way, little DeJounte Murray uh, tidbit. I heard from a number of people, unexpected team that like at least knocked on the Hawks door about DeJounte Murray. Uh, Spurs. Spurs broached, or not, I don't know if they broached it. Let's say the two teams had brief discussions about like, can we kind of do a do-over on this trade? Wow. And, and it didn't, I don't, I don't think it's serious. I don't think it got anywhere. But to me, it's interesting that the Spurs, I think it shows that the Spurs know we need an upgrade at guard and they're going to be willing over the next year, six months, whatever to, to kind of chase a veteran guard to kind of keep their team afloat. Little, little rumbling. But that tells you a lot about just like, you know, we've all asked that hypothetical question of if you put better ball handling and, and, and a, a veteran guard alongside Wimbenyama and, and also a number of other talented young players there in San Antonio, what would you get out of it? What would you see? How much does it open up? It would be pretty interesting if that's the guy they end up getting, um, you know, and and also, again, the, the Trey Young conversation is interesting. If the question is, what would it take to get him for certain teams? Now, 
you know, I could just imagine putting him next to someone that has endless arms as seven foot four, seven foot five, whatever the hell. But, uh, you know, trade to your point, you know, I wrote a feature about the Hawks, uh, I think two years ago over at SI. And there, there's something about Trey that I, I understand why he's as popular as he is. I think that at his peak, and I think the hope for him was that he would replicate a lot of what Steph does. Now, obviously, they're different players. The the one commonality is that they both launch shots from forever away. But uh, with Trey specifically, the Hawks, to your point about how long it's been, uh, I think in that story I said something like they had the longest streak in the NBA or drought um, in terms of having had someone finish in the top 10 of the MVP vote. Um, that wow. you have to go all the way back to Dominique Wilkins in the 90s and uh you know Trey Young is someone that gave you a chance to break that uh things would have to break right he would probably have to play a little bit more defense they would have to finish as a top three four seed I think to be in that conversation but I think that tells you a lot just about what what the hope was for him and and why you know even when they were good with Joe Johnson and certainly with Al Horford and the Corver teams and everything that this was something different. They really haven't had a, a bankable star and we could talk about Joe Johnson, but there's a difference between Joe Johnson and Trey young from that standpoint and the idea of, of electrifying a fan base. So I, I guess it. What, what I was going back and forth with this person from a team who's not related to any of this the other day was on, on Levine and Trey's number one opposing defenses like are scared of Trey young. Like they, they, they're like, all right, we got to dial up an entire game plan and really dig in for this game. They're not scared of yep. Levine that way. They respect Levine, but they're not scared of him that way. And obviously the difference between them is passing. Like the, the most important difference between them is pass like Trey young still does not get enough credit for what an insane pastor that dude is. Um, I think because he's pigeonholed as a guy who has the ball so much that he's sort of inevitably chasing assists. And I actually don't think that's fair. Uh, I think he's gotten off the ball more this year. He's throwing hit ahead pads. Like he'll hit Bogdanovich with these like 50 foot passes in transition a lot this year, but his lob passing, his ability to disguise the lob pass and the floater, um, his ability to just like, you're trapping me 35 feet away. Here's a lefty sidearm slingshot to the corner. Like that yeah. stuff is it's not, not easy common it's very <laughs> no. rare and if you put him on the RSL team like I would not have a, a quibble a, as much of a quibble as I usually would have with a with a guy from a team who's extremely disappointing and like wide mm -hmm. open available on the trade market you want to hear a fun theoretical Hawks trade by the way okay yeah so DeJounte Murray to the Lakers has been rumored for ever and ever right. don't really see a, a one for one deal there and you you tend to stop there and be like all right sign on you know I don't think the Lakers have enough. You know, I don't think they're going to include Reeves maybe for DeJounte Murray. What if it got to DeJounte Murray and Bogdanovich for Reeves, Hachimura, Russell, and just say like Hood Shafino and the first round pick. So you're getting both Murray and Bogdanovich, which at that point you obviously kicking and screaming would have to put Austin Reeves in the deal. I have, yeah. I don't know if this has been just let, let me be clear. I have not heard that this has been discussed I have no idea if the Lakers would even entertain putting Austin Reeves, who they love as a homegrown product on a great contract, into a trade, even bringing in that caliber of player. Somebody threw that deal at me yesterday. It's like, oh, that's actually, that maybe stopped kind of in my tracks for a second. It's an interesting one because the Lakers, 
The Lakers need some stuff, Chris. It's not going great for the Lakers that they can't score, and that would help them score more baskets. Um, okay. Yeah, I just wrote a story this morning about how how scoring challenged they are, which is crazy because this is by far not even just you know the championship season, but even beyond that championship season they had with AD and LeBron, they've played together so much more than they did during that year. Uh, the two of them being healthy, I, I think it's something like they played in 87, 88% of the game so far. The championship season, I think they played in like 72%. And every other year beyond that was like 43%, 27%, 33%. So they're healthy and their offense is still 23rd, 24th, something like that. You you referenced it in one of your recent pods. But um, yeah, to that point, Reeves, I think you'd like to see them be a little bit more efficient as an offense when it's just him out there. Uh, and I understand he's homegrown. I understand that he does a ton of things well, certainly gets to the line, certainly is a good passer, certainly is capable of being a good shooter, although I know his number is not really great this year. Nobody's is really on that team except maybe Torian Prince um, on good volume. But I, I think you potentially have to be open to anything right now, just given where they are and not just where they are standings wise, but how they've looked lately ever since the and, season tournament. And again, to be clear, that's a fake trade that somebody made up and I liked and I stole. Um, and the more good players you put in trades, the more likely they are to fall apart because then people start arguing, oh, I feel like I'm giving too much. I need this pick. Wait, no, we feel like we're giving too much. We need that. And it's just like, that's a lot of big names in one fake trade. Okay. My three, so we got seven reserves. We both are starting Brunson. Congratulations to Jalen Brunson. You win our fake starting spot. Chris's <laughs> real starting spot. Um, seven reserves. In the East, real quickly. Okay. I've only got three that are totally locked in. Maxi and Mitchell, I mentioned. And I don't mm -hmm. want to hear about games played. He's over my threshold. Now we're going to the front court players. The most are my two guards, Maxi and Mitchell. I want to hear about games played. I want to hear about, oh, he's missed 10 games, 12 games, whatever it is. Bam Adebayo is an all-star. Yeah. He's in the yeah. all-star game. And you know why I know that? Because the Heat are in the goddamn conference finals or the finals every year. I know what Bam Adebayo is. I don't care if he's played 300 fewer minutes than Julius Randle and Paolo Bancaro and Jalen Brown and Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes and Kristaps Porzingis. He hasn't played 300 fewer minutes than because Porzingis misses lots of games. I don't care. He's better than all those guys when the chips are down. He is a top five defensive big man in the NBA whose scoring is up and the Heat just have nine players out every game and they keep on winning. So he's in. That leaves me four spots, and you were nodding along. You have Bam in as well? Yeah, Bam is there as my uh, second center. So now I've got four spots, two front court and two wild card, and I just named like 12 guys. I need your help, Chris. Who should get these four spots? Because if you're asking me to differentiate between the Raptors guys, well, they're on a bad team. The Celtics guys, they're on a great team how many of them and who are actually deserving at least one has to be on this list okay and caro ironically like the guys i the guys that i think are are going to be very popular choices ban caro randall and jalen brown the advanced stats just don't think those guys are the right choices now i don't necessarily put all the weight into the advanced stats or even like a third of the weight um the advanced stats scream for scotty barnes mm -hmm. they scream for Derek white Probably Trey Young too, who we have mentioned, uh, and Porzingis, who I can't get there because of the games the games missed, and also just like he's 
he's in the absolute perfect situation to just thrive doing what he does. Catch, shoot, po- his post-ups have been great. His defense has been great. If you Like, he has a case. And Dame is in there, too. I, I think Dame is just... He hasn't been quite as good as his other guards this year. Who 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 you can you help me? Who do you got? I can tell you who I have, and I can also tell you like who I considered. How I yeah, tell me who you barely ruled with, certain people out. Let me just start. start with, first of all, you only get twelve. Okay, like I yes. feel like we need to remind people. The, there's not fifteen. You get twelve. Can I say one thing to that? Like it, injuries are the worst. Nobody roots for them. No one's excited about them. The only time that I find myself like. And this will sound weird, so I want it, the context to be obviously there. I breathe a sigh of relief from the standpoint of all-star stuff when there's someone that gets the nod and they've announced that they've made the team. And then if they're not able to play because of an injury, it allows somebody else a chance. So they've become an all-star. I'm, I want to say Porzingis' first all-star appearance was like that, where he got hurt, so he couldn't play, but he was named an all-star and someone else got to go. So I, I never view that as a negative uh, from that standpoint, just because obviously we'd love to see these guys be able to play. But if they can't, particularly for guys that have done this 12 times before, somebody else gets a first chance, and that's really, really cool. And so um, you only get 12. Sometimes other people end up getting a chance because someone gets hurt or someone is out. I think Booker might have gotten his first chance that way as well, if I'm remembering correctly. So who knows what happens here, but... Uh, Give me your if four. you want me to give I, you my, yeah, my Lenny, guys. I want I want the four because I I'm struggling. And by the way, this is to your point. Jimmy Butler has missed a decent number of games, and and as we do this, he's slated to probably miss more. So he he will as a piece That's percentage it. of games he's going to fall short. I think otherwise he's an all star. So so give me your four. So I and and taking into account what you said because I had kind of done that. Uh, Randall. Jalen Brown, because as you said, I think you have to have a second Celtic. And to me, Derek White, obviously from an advanced numbers perspective and everything else. And just frankly, like I know for me, I'm kind of biased and lean toward guys that do it all, that play a lot of defense, that aren't going to show up in the the big box score numbers. But I, I just can't get there considering who all we're talking about. Um, when we talk about situations that he's in, he is a huge part of that team. He by far is second on the team in like value over replacement player and all the win share advanced numbers and stuff like that. I just can't quite get there to, to give him either a third Celtic spot or to put him in above someone like Jalen Brown. I, I, I'm not going to do that personally. Obviously we're just voting for the starters is, is media and we're just a part of the vote that is uh, tangled in that, but I'm, I'm going Randall Jalen Brown. And then we talked about the, you know, Trey that I was going to put Trey on my team or at least suggested because I very, very loosely considered him as a starter. Uh, and then I think Boncaro, like I, I think the magic deserves somebody. Uh, you can have a conversation obviously about Franz Wagner, but I, to me, Boncaro is the guy is kind of their lead guy. His numbers are up this season, which you don't always see from a guy that is coming off the season that he had as a rookie. So those would be my last four. And I, I feel pretty good about it. I, I hate having to leave off some of the guys that I did. I can be really honest in saying that Scotty Barnes is the very next person I had on my list is someone that I really, really wanted to include on my list of 12 and is the kind of person I'm talking about that if someone gets hurt, would love to see him make the team because he's made such a leap this year in terms of what he's been asked to do in terms of, 
when we talk about, you know, what I was saying about Trey and wanting him to be a little bit more efficient on threes, Scotty Barnes has been more than a little bit more efficient. He's done it on really, really good volume as well. He's passing the ball a ton and is, you know, a good distributor. He plays defense. Um, so it, it, it hurt me to have to, you know, to leave him off of my list of 12. I will write a column with my choices eventually. It's probably a couple weeks away. So these are not final choices. My tentative reserves would be Maxi Mitchell Adebayo, who I mentioned. And then the four that I have in in very light pencil are Randall, I, who I just never feel like I just love the all-star case for Julius Randall. But he's been very good, and the Knicks are good. Um, Bancaro, who the advanced stats say should not be it, but I just think leading scorer, 38% from three is big. Uh, solid defense this year. And just you look at who has been out for them all the time. I, I'm very impressed. I, I I would lean, again, light pencil him. That's three. I don't even know who my last one would be right now, to be honest with you. I don't know what to make of the Raptors. Oh, I, did I say Jalen Brown? I have Jalen Brown, too. Um, so you said Randall Bancaro, Bancaro. Brown would be my first three. Of these four. Okay, so you've got the one more then. And I don't know. I haven't been following closely enough, enough to know if this is like your wild card or if it's no, it's the guard for, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, that you can fit it <laughs> any way you want. Okay. And if you ask me cognitively, like why Jalen Brown over Derek White, I don't even feel like I have a great answer. Like I just I just don't. Um and you'd find a shocking number of people around the league, not a majority. I don't know what percentage, if you pulled 400 coaches and front office people, would answer this question what way. But if you pulled 400 front office people and coaches, who's a better basketball player, Jalen Brown or Derek White? Mm. I think right now at this moment, given the way White has played, it would be closer than people would think. I think Jalen Brown wins the poll because people default to like, I know I can give that dude the ball and... Right. um and he can create an efficient shot out of nothing. Great cutter, shooting well from two. Threes are kind of and this year. Don't trust the handle. The assist to turnover ratio is always bad. Um, where and people would say, well, like, what is how efficient could Derek White be stepping one spot up on the on the hierarchy of offensive options? I don't mm -hmm. know if that's even sensible. I know that Jalen Brown has had a really good last month. And Plays with force, good two-way player. I feel okay about it. The last spot, I, I don't even know what to make of the Raptors. Like, if we're penalizing Trey Young, and I'm not saying I am because the Hawks are bad, well, the Raptors are also bad. Um, yes. And they've been bad and weird, and Scotty's been awesome on both ends of the floor. His fourth quarter numbers, crunch time numbers are great. Does it matter to you that the team is awful, like minus 13 points per 100 possessions, when he plays without Siakam and when Siakam plays without Barnes, they're actually a slight positive. I never know what to make of those small mm. lineup sample sizes. Like, is that a test of like, can you really carry the team? He's probably been a little better than Siakam just as a whole. I just don't know what to make of either of them. And it's remarkable that we've gotten all this far. Like Damian Lillard, do the Bucks are just going to one guy? Just that's it. Yeah, like, I thought about that one pretty long and hard, though, to be honest with you. And 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 I don't it shouldn't necessarily be the test case. And I, I wonder this way sometimes about award voting as well, which obviously all star is a form of an award. I know it's not, you know, but it's it goes on your resume as whether you've had one or not an appearance. His numbers are down 
And granted, he he is the new piece to that cog in Milwaukee. Um, teams are going to figure out how to defend him and try to get the ball out of his hand. And Giannis has kind of been the beneficiary in a lot of ways. Even from the first preseason game they played together, Giannis is like, I've never seen these sorts of coverages in this much openness before. But, you know, his numbers are down relative to what they normally are. And so that is something I'm paying attention to. Also, let's be honest about what the Bucs have been defensively this year. Granted, you're losing Drew Holiday, but you're replacing him with Damian Lillard. And the Bucs are unrecognizably bad on defense compared to what they've been in the past. So as I factor in that Lillard's numbers are down a little bit, efficiency-wise, counting statistics-wise, or at least from a scoring standpoint, seven or eight points a game less than what he had before, which was to be expected on some level because he's playing next to Giannis, the defensive numbers for the team have really, really taken a dive as we're talking about a number of guys that are pretty good defenders in this conversation. So that's something that I'm taking into account. The other thing I'll tell you, and again, and I, I, I can feel just based on the conversation that I'm at least considering some of these guys a little bit more maybe than you did that are on bad teams. Terry Rozier has really, really good statistics this year. Yeah, he's on my line. He's on my list. I want to be clear. Terry Rozier is on my long list. People are sleeping on the season he's having. So when we talk about that and you look at the fact that, damn, his numbers are kind of similar to Dame's, except in some cases better, in a lot of cases better, and that he doesn't have Giannis on his team, and that, you know, that LaMelo has been out as much as he's been out. I, I just can't really see the, the argument here for Dame. Other than he's Damian Lillard and he would make an all-star game really fun. And we know that. And the Bucs are really good. And we know that. So I, I did think about that long and hard. It's just weird naturally to have Damian Lillard be healthy and on a winning team and not have him on your list of 12. But I, you know, I couldn't quite get there. And he, again, so his scoring is you, a little Barnes was my first guy, not him. Yeah, Dame's scoring is a tick below, just a tick, like a point below Brunson and and Maxi shooting forty three percent overall, thirty five percent on threes. Like those are down, and when you consider his defense, it it just is, is what it is. Rogier, you, look, you just like the Hornets are eight and twenty seven. Like none of their games matter at I some know. point. Like if your games just don't matter, I I I just can't put you in above these other guys. Uh, he is a name I mentioned as a trade, um, a trade candidate that people aren't paying enough attention to, and I think. I like the Miami fit for him. I I think the Heat are going to be aggressive. I don't know that that's I don't I'm not saying those teams have talked. I'm not saying they will talk. I do think the Heat are going to face a choice of do we expend a significant asset, even if it's just one first round pick, on a player who's not a star, which will limit our ability to bundle up a whole bunch of picks for somebody like maybe Donovan Mitchell down the line. Or do we try to finagle a deck chairs swap trade where it's just a bunch of players in and out in a couple seconds and we get a guy and I'm not sure who that guy would be. Uh, th real quickly, theoretically, theoretically, do you like the fit of Pascal Siakam in Philadelphia? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I had to think about it for just a second, but I, I think he gives you enough on both ends of the floor. He's become a much better distributor than what he's given credit for. Uh, I thought for just a second about his shooting ability and whether maybe sometimes or the perception of that, whether it helps hinders a little bit at times, just given that, you know, Embiid is going to have the ball in the post. But 
at a certain point too, you also just need guys. Um, and you know, I think that could they benefit from having a guy that is that good as, as, as a third option? Absolutely. They could, uh, especially considering that, you know, at times earlier before, you know, your hope was that Tobias Harris could do that. And then every now and then he does. But I, I just think as a third guy, you would love to have somebody like that, even if there are some things that, you know, that you have to work through and kind of um, develop a rhythm for. But, yeah, I, how do you feel about that? Because I think I would want him. Well, I talked about this with Ohm regarding the Kawhi extension. Like some of Philadelphia's free agency targets keep just going off the board, which makes me think like, yeah, he Pascal may want a max. Does he have one in hand? Are they like confident? I don't know. Uh, the Raptors could always extend Pascal and just take him off the trade market this season, trade him down the line, which which maybe is their best play if they don't like the offers. Um, I just think Philadelphia has to be all in this year. And cap space, you could be a little too precious with it, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think their talent after their first two guys is quite dynamic enough on some what like when Melton has his games when he's making four threes, Tobias is rampaging in transition. Like right. it feels dynamic enough. I just think they need and by the way, you can get there. I don't know if the Raptors would be amenable to it or not, but you can get there without including Tobias. Like they have enough exp- if you just throw all the expirings and all the picks and a couple interesting young players like Springer or something at the Raptors, you can get there without Tobias and have both of them. I, I just, again, I don't know what the Raptors are going to want. Um, but I do know, like, if they hit unrestricted free agency with Pascal Siakam, that will mean that extension talks either failed or did not happen. And I think, like, there'll be some, you know, ill feelings that would need to be overcome, probably with a fifth year fully guaranteed on on that free agency deal that the Raptors could all only the Raptors can offer to get interesting. I hope they do something just so that it's not a Van Vliet situation. Norger granted, he got more money than I could ever imagine paying him, but also you got nothing back for him. And it's, I just kind of feel like they're at a place now with Barnes specifically where if you're not keeping someone, you at least need to use the guys you have to build around him. And uh, I would at least hope that they do that if, if they're, going to run the risk of you know him getting a non-restricted free agency anyway a couple of other quick shout outs in the east chris middleton's playing a lot better in the last month looks like chris middleton not in the all-star conversation but that's a great sign for the bucks shout out to jared allen who's putting up like 20 and 20, yep. 20 and 15 games as the Cavs, i think well. are nine and three or something in their last 12 games without mobley and garland mm-hmm. super impressive um great stuff from jared allen Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I would. Okay, Western Conference All-Stars. I've got a starting lineup that's almost in pen. Like, I feel pretty, which is crazy considering that there are um, four unbelievable front court candidates for two front court starting spots. Um, yeah. I think the three guys that are in Sharpie pen in the starting lineup, I think the guards are open and shut. Luka Doncic and Shea Gildas Alexander are the starting guards right. in the West. And Jokic is one of the starting front court players. That's three in Sharpie, Magic Marker, Paint, whatever you want to do. That leaves two front court spots for the following four names. Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. Good <laughs> luck to all of you who have ballots. My choices as of today, <laughs> Friday, January 12th at 9.58 a.m., by a little hair on my chinny-chin-chin, are Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis, which means LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard come off the bench. If you completely disagree and you flip two in and two out, what am I going to argue? Like Kawhi Leonard, you can't start Kawhi Leonard in the All-Star. Kawhi Leonard's unbelievable. <laughs> you can start him in the All-Star game. He's been one of the six best players in the league in the last month. What say you, Mr. Herring? So I went a little differently, not much. I had one of the two that you did. Uh, we had the same locks there, the same... Well, then I just dismiss everything you've ever written and will write from here on (laughs) into the future. Don't you love that? that, That's my favorite Twitter. That's my favorite Twitter guy of all the Twitter guys is like, you left Jalen Brunson off the starting lineup. Everything you write has no credibility from this moment forward and retroactively. Wait, listen, man. Listen, man. I, I having covered the Knicks before and having lived in New York, living in New York again now, I, you... You wouldn't believe me when I say it, but there are absolutely people that have done that with me over not putting R.J. Barrett on my rookie all rookie team. So oh, like, out in Toronto, my R.J. Barrett bullishness is being vindicated by the moment. Okay, Chris Herring, who give me your give me your starting your last two starters in the West. Just name them. So we had four of them, uh, the same. Uh, you you mentioned the two guards, which I had in there as well. Shea and Luca Jokic, obviously at center. I had KD there. Uh, as a starter in the West. And then I went with LeBron uh, as the other forward. I think, as you just said, absolutely, you have a very good case. I would not argue, shout anyone down over putting Davis there, nor would I really do it over Kawhi. I think, I mean, Kawhi, during that two-week heater before he left um, and was out, I I can't remember what ended up happening with him injury-wise. He missed a couple games in a row. Before that, he might have been the best player in the league for a solid three weeks where, I mean, he was just MVP level stuff. 
Every I, game I think, was like, oh, he shot 12 of 18 again and guarded the best player on the other team and just mm-hmm. like it's ridiculous. Just elite. And and I mean, looking every bit the part that he did when when they won the title in Toronto and he led them to it. So that was really fun to watch. And and for that reason, I'll never, you know, I'll never have a qualm with him being one of the five starters for someone, or Davis for that matter, who's been a beast. And I think you can argue night to night is better defensively than anybody else that's being considered for any of these spots as a starter in the West. Um, I went with LeBron just because I feel like uh, he, I mean, I don't know. Part of it is probably just still being in awe of what the guy can do most nights. I mean, the fact that he's still relentless about getting to the basket, um, the fact that, you know, I I felt like the in-season tournament, that for some reason is still etched so in, so etched into my mind like the the game against the pelicans where it was just like just kind of will that he had in that game and a lot of times just kind of takes over situations because he's going right at people still um he's still scoring it pretty aggressively although there have been a couple games where frankly they're blowouts and you know uh he, he manages to get barely to that double digit mark to kind of keep that streak going but I don't know. I just kind of feel like he's he still dominates the game in a way that, to me, uh, I'll put it this way. It was weird enough not having Steph as a starter. It would feel kind of bizarre to not have Steph or LeBron as a starter. I know that's not how you make these decisions, but I kind of felt like he was in the conversation enough. And, I, you know, I felt like he kind of deserved a spot. Um, I, I, I got no argument. I mean, LeBron's unbelievable. The whole LeBron on-court, off-court thing has faded in the last month. Like the, the that gap is not very big anymore, and in fact, it's about the same with Anthony Davis. I, I don't, I don't care. Like, like we're all of these guys are going to be locked in to the All-Star team. That give, well, that gives us seven True. of our twelve guys are locked in, um, no matter what. So I'm, yes. I'm cool either way. That's seven. So I got five, five spots left. I got both my reserve guard spots, uh, one reserve front court spot. And two wild cards. Okay, um, let's hear them. Well, I I have nobody. <laughs> you don't like, have any of it figured out. <laughs> I, I've got my first seven. Um, okay. Uh, I have a very long list of candidates for the rest of the spots. Um, tentatively, very very tentatively, I think I would go. Again, this is like not even. This is like an invisible ink. Just like this is nothing. I think Curry still has to go. And particularly if you look at his, if you've looked at his crunch time numbers now, the Warriors are in a million crunch time games. They're unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like he's been one of the best clutch players in the league. And he's still an offense unto himself running around. Statistically, if you just look at the numbers, particularly the yeah. advanced numbers, they will tell you that he is now dropped into a big pile of guards that you could pick from and kind of feel like he's, you know, equivalent to them. I just, he's still Steph Curry. So I would go Steph Curry and Anthony Edwards so far as my guards. Again, that nothing. was how I went too. Uh, and you're, we're, by the way, we're going to reach a dilemma where it, these are yes. always very strange where it's like, wait, do we, do we only have, do we have two Lakers and one Minnesota Timberwolf and one? Oklahoma City Thunderer, like that doesn't seem right, but maybe that's what happens. Um, so Curry, Edwards, and first two front court spots for me, LeBron, Kawhi, whoever of the two you didn't pick. Um, and that leaves me one front court, two wild cards. 
I think right now, with apologies to a whole long list of people that we'll get to, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, Desmond Bain, not so much Zion, but Zion, Brandon Ingram, Sabonis is going to be a really tough omission one way or another if he's an omission. Uh, Shen Goon, Chet Holmgren, Lowry Markinen. I think my last three are Paul George as a front court mm. player. Okay. What he is listed as. De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker. Despite the fact that Booker's missed like yeah. nine or ten games. He's played so many minutes in the games he's played that his minutes gap with some of these other guards is very small. But and he's been again, great. That means I have one Timberwolf, and I don't even know who I would pick between Cat and Rudy. Both are deserving. I got no Sabonis, who's just like seems like every game now is a triple double. Yeah. Lowry Arkinen has missed a bunch of games, but he's been unbelievable when he's played. And the Jazz are, I think, plus two with him on the floor, minus seven with him off the floor. He's the key to, to their resurgence into play in contention. One game mm-hmm. under 500 now. Um, you know, you could go any number of ways but that's tentatively right now that's how i would go i do i don't feel good about it though and the minnesota sabonis minnesota guys both bigs not being on it and sabonis not being on it and shengun just the numbers say shengun has a really strong case i yeah. feel full about all of it what, what where did you end up can you make me feel better or are you gonna make me feel worse no, I'm probably going to make you feel a little worse. I've got one guy on there, two guys that you don't have, but you one that you mentioned. Um, All right, so give me, just give me your full reserves. Let's do just name your so seven reserves, and we'll see. What, my what... full list of reserves, we had mentioned already that I had Davis and Kawhi, but not as starters. So those are two. I already said that I agreed with you and that I had the same backcourt that you did in Steph and Ant uh, for, for those four spots. So that leaves me with three, uh, I believe, of – essentially a forward, a center, and a wild card. And for that, I went I, – I felt like I had to have Sabonis on the team. Um, you know, and maybe some people would disagree with that, but it's really hard. And I think this was kind of the argument that he locked himself into last year from the standpoint of all NBA, especially once certain guys got injured, is like this guy basically leads the league in rebounds. He's like top 10 in assists. He's going to lead the league in double-doubles. He's going to be on the list with regards to triple doubles um it's it's hard it's hard to be clear there is no there is no center spot it's all front court front court if you want a center that's because you want a center which is totally okay. fine and i respect it you know what even so so we have curry and Kawhi, ad sabonis and then two two more so this is the challenge i i took fox uh for my guard spot and I think the challenge that I ran into with the West was part of what we were talking about with the East, except it's harder in the West because with the West, with a number of these teams, particularly the Lakers, um, you know, and I think particularly with a couple of the other teams, some of the teams aren't that good, but have two really good players. Like the Suns have not necessarily performed well enough to say they have to have two guys. But as you mentioned, they've got Katie and they've got Booker. Beal hasn't played enough, but he's got to be in. And, Absolutely, and averaging thirty a game, and Booker, not to sound trite, but Booker, provided he hits a games played threshold, which I, to me, given his minutes he has, given what he's done in the postseason, even last year when they lost in the second round, he was pretty damn good. He just sort of passes the like I know what an all star looks like, and that guy's an all star. 
test. Absolutely like I like he does. But I but here's the challenge with that. If there is one, there's a few guys that do. And I I like I think even at his position, one name that we haven't mentioned, I don't know that you would mention is Kyrie Irving and Oh, I'm glad you brought him up. Cuz Kyrie Irving is a guy that literally is like the epitome of an all-star when you think about what the game is. His statistics as the Knicks found out last night, his statistics have been really really good. Uh, he's played really, really well as of late. His numbers are down, but they're about, you know, they're in that stratosphere of what they've always been, which are really, really good. So that's where it gets difficult for me of like, he he looks the part of an all-star. He essentially is an all-star. He's performed like one before and he's doing it again. Kyrie has two. So I, I'll, I'll go there with it. The guys that I took uh, and also wanting to be true somewhat to rewarding good teams I put Sabonis and Fox on the team, uh, and Ingram was my last pick because wow. I, I decided I decided not to take Zion. Uh, as you said, I don't think he's quite there this year. His numbers are down. He's not. I he's think not there. Ingram's numbers are not necessarily across the board better, but efficiency-wise, I think he's having a career best year. I do think that the Pelicans deserve someone. And also, when we talk about an all-star game, and like, I don't know if you're saying essentially like fits the eye test of an all-star – He's not out of place by any means there. No, absolutely. I love Brandon. And they certainly deserve somebody. So it, but it is hard because you look at this list of guys. I also like, I didn't struggle with it, but the Clippers essentially were the other team that, as you said, deserve to have at least two guys in that conversation. I think Harden's numbers are just a bit too far down. And I'm going, I'm going, I'm going no on the drama for all. So you don't get to go into all-star with this field, (laughs) in this field, this good, and he's yeah. been outstanding. I wrote a whole thing on the Clippers today. They're all, they've been awesome. In this field, I just think you sit this one out. He's not he's not going to be an all-star and I think we all know that. You can look at his counting statistics. Now if you you take it and kind of sample size it from this point to this point, they're a little bit different. I think the best argument for him if you were to make one for him is that he was the catalyst for the team really taking off once they really developed a rhythm with him running the show which helps boost the the case for someone like paul george so that was part of the reason that paul george wasn't on my team either you, you mentioned marketing i think jaron jackson has like a slight case i wouldn't take him bane is the same sort of thing but for me I, it was just tough of you have so many good teams in the west like minnesota like oklahoma city it's just weird for them to only have one but I went Ingram, Sabonis, and Fox for my last three spots. Yeah, I have no good justification for why neither Wolves starting big man makes the team. And your first justification would be like, well, they're great because of their defense. So that's like not Carl Towns specialty. It is Rudy Gobert's specialty. Like yeah. that guy's been unbelievable. Like I think Paul George has been better than Brandon Ingram on a better team. But I'm glad you brought up the Pelicans and I'm glad you brought up the Mavericks. Kyrie has missed 16 games and played 750 minutes. I just think in this field, I, I don't love using minutes played. That's a lot of games. Like Book has played 300 more minutes basically than Kyrie. That's very but, fair. But, yeah. but per minute, I think people. I think there are two teams that people are not sleeping on, but don't know what to make of because of their injuries and weird up and down seasons, and have kind of not noticed their ascent up the standings. And you just named both of them. Dallas is 23 and 16, despite. Half the team's hurt all the time. Luca's limping every game and has, he looks like, 
he's got the cupping marks all over him. He's limping around. I'm like, man, this <laughs> he guy's does. a mess. Like, my yeah. God. And he sat out last night and they won anyway. They're 23 and 16. Per minute, Kyrie has been unbelievable. Per minute, Kyrie has been an all-star. Grant Williams has been dealing with an ankle injury. He hasn't been up to par. They need his skill set to really sing the way they can sing. Something interesting has happened in there. And New Orleans just sort of, they crapped the bed in the IST semifinals. Everyone does the Zion's out of shape thing for a week. And then they just sort of forget about it. Well, hello, we're 23 and 15, the Pelicans. They have the fourth yeah. best point differential in the West above the Nuggets now. And point now the Nuggets are up, are just waiting, wake us up in sure. April. Um, and they're just, they're a good team. They're also flush with trade assets. I have no idea what, what they need. So like, I'm glad you brought them up. I think people are kind of not, no, don't know what to make of those two teams um, because so much of the foot. So the West has this clear top four, Denver, Minnesota, OKC Clippers. Now I think are in there. And then all the rest of the focus is like, what's wrong with Phoenix? What's wrong with the Lakers? And in, what's wrong with the Warriors? And in between those top four and those three, what's wrong with them teams are Dallas, New Orleans, and Sacramento, yeah. and then Houston too. And I think people are sleeping on those teams. Um, I, I don't know how good they can really get, but like if Dallas is going to be a legit average defensive team and that's where they are right now, when they get There's healthy, the highest ceiling on that team, yeah. And they have those two dudes, they're like 120 points per possessions. They can win a playoff series. Like no one's going to want to face that team. Now, I don't know if they can who they're going to beat because if you're facing one of those top 4 teams in the first round, it's tough sledding. Um yeah. That's so 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 no Booker for you. Yes Fox, yes Sabonis, no Shengu. Yeah. And yeah. uh Okay, I look. It was. I can't. It, it's tough though because I feel like it's exactly what you just said. Of you know, I and obviously I picked the Kings with this one, uh, but it it's kind of like how much do slash can you reward certain guys that are part of teams that just haven't been all that great so far, but have two in some cases almost three all star caliber guys, and uh, I I think it was kind of like one of these teams is going to end up getting cut um but i also think that the point you make which is a good one about the pelicans um they would probably be the best team if, if none of their guys make the all-star team the best team to not have anybody represented but also to keep in mind that they have maybe top to bottom the deepest team in the league just in terms of how many guys could contribute or would contribute anywhere else guys that don't even play some nights that would be you know part of a top eight with with most other teams so that might be why you know you look at somebody like ingram or zion and they're not an all-star this year but you know I, so it's like how much do you credit the lead guy or one of the lead guys from a team versus that's where for me like the Derek white part of the conversation i love Derek white he's one of my three or four favorite players in the league because of all the different things he does but it just becomes really difficult in a game where you know you're this squeezed with only 12 spots for Easily 15, 16, 17 deserving guys, at least, if not more. A few other very quick notes. I want to apologize to Desmond Bain, who has just yeah. been unbelievable. And if you want to say, well, wait, didn't you talk about how the Raptors are bad and that affects all-star candidacies and the Hawks are bad and that affects all-star candidacies. But we know why they're bad. <laughs> the Grizzlies, like those teams have been relative to the Grizzlies, healthy. Like the Raptors have been healthy. The Hawks, right. yeah, they missed Jalen Johnson, DeAndre Hunter. The Grizzlies have missed everybody. And Desmond right. Bain just goes out there like a goddamn Iron Man every game. 
puts up efficient numbers, five assists. I I wish I I kind of want him to make it just as a nice as a nice human. Um, yeah, Markinen. You know, there's been all of these fake trades with Markinen, and teams have definitely called Utah about Markinen. I just don't get the vibe they're going to move him unless you offer them so much that any moron would have to say yes because it's just crazy. Um, everyone else on Utah, I think, is more or less not everyone else, not Keonta George, not Taylor Hendricks, not the core young guys, the veterans, your old Knicks, your Sextons, et cetera, I think will be more or less um, on the table. Uh, the Thunder, apologies to Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams. They fall just a little bit short here. You could make a case for Chet, I think, given his defense. I don't know about you, Chris. I got no in, I got no hard intel on the Thunder. None. Uh, all the public remarks that Sam Presti has made has been patience, patience, patience. I've said all along, I don't necessarily think it has to be an all or nothing proposition, like superstar trade or nothing. Something in my gut, something in my gut, it's just my gut. That's all. My gut's been wrong a bunch. I think they're going to do something at least small. I think they're going to, I think this Bertans contract is a ticking time bomb for them that they need to use or lose. And I think, I don't, I just feel like they're going to zag a little bit against their public remarks just because they always seem to surprise people. Something small. I hope they do. Something like it's like a sixth or seventh guy, nothing big, probably nothing involving Giddy because, you know, that no one knows kind of what to make of that whole thing right now. Um, uh, and he hasn't really even played that well, to be honest. Um, just something like, give me another six. I just, that's my gut. Uh, and the Kings, you mentioned 23 and 14, but with the point differential of like just barely over 500 team. The more I watch them, Chris, the more I'm like, I kind of wonder if they should just stand pat. Like, I don't want to, like Keegan Murray has been so good in the last Man. month that I want to <laughs> see a little, like, I don't feel a rush to get a third guy because he might be the third guy. And if that's the case and all these other fits are kind of imperfect, are going to cost me a lot of my future flexibility or like, I got to know if I'm going to resign them in the case of a guy like Siakam where they make tons of money and their fit is okay. I'm just yeah. like, you know what? If I fall into the play in this year and I lose, and people are going to say, "Oh, you didn't replicate last year's first round playoff appearance," why didn't you make a trade? Like I, right now, I'm kind of okay with that outcome, given the way Keegan Murray is playing. Those are my closing thoughts. Do you have any closing thoughts? I'll just second what you're saying from the stand. I, like, how beautiful. Uh, I, I was about to call it a problem. Is it just to see Keegan Murray developing the way he is, which I feel like, you know what he reminds me of? Like those over-the-air updates that Teslas make, where it's just like they download right away and it's like the bug is fixed. Uh, a lot of times, just having spent a little bit of time out there last year in Sacramento, um, Mike Brown makes one comment to him. And it seems like sometimes maybe Keegan gives him a little bit of attitude about it. He's like, well, I can do that. You know, he'll tell him that he wants him to bring the ball down the floor on, you know, after grabbing a rebound that he doesn't have to pass the ball. He's like, I can dribble. I can do that. And then the next game, he brings the ball down the floor and like dunks on someone and and then says something to Mike Brown, like under his breath, because he's like, see, I told you I could do that. And he's just he just has. I, I was so kind of taken by the fact that when they drafted him, he became part of a really handoff heavy offense. That's obviously the majority of the offense they run with someone like Sabonis as a hub of that offense. 
I think he had run like three or four handoff possessions during his time at Iowa, period. Not in one year total. And the fact that he was one of the most efficient players in the league with that play last year, obviously Herter was as well, um, that spoke volumes about what a rookie could do. Uh, and now he gets to develop in that same system. Like You have to be a little bit careful about how you move with him and what he can become and not just changing stuff for the sake of changing oh. it. And now I don't mean I didn't mean to imply there. I, I didn't mean to imply that they would trade him in any deal for a no, big no, no. they wouldn't. I, I, just, I never took it that way. Yeah, the, yeah. the team as a whole, you have to yeah. be careful with changing because you're not sure what he can become yet. He's already made a really big year one to year two jump. Oh. He's having games where he's essentially launching in 35, 40 points on a given night because he's just that good of a shooter and that's not all he can do. So I understood perfectly where you were yeah. coming from from that. Okay. I think they have to be careful about what all they change up at all um, in order to just kind of give him a, a stable environment. Um, and I'm right there with you with Oklahoma City. I hope they don't make a big, big swing here. I think you have to wait a little bit, but I would love to I don't, see them I don't do think something. there's one to make. I don't think there's one to make. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Fortify the team where you can, but I don't think it needs to be a huge, huge swing. I think they're, they they're, do stuff they're good edges. Enough. I mean, they're, yep. they're, they have the second best point differential in the entire league, plus nine point one per game. Boston is, is number one at plus nine point two. Like Oklahoma City's after last night's sixty something point win is on the verge <laughs> of having the number one point differential in the league. They're good enough. All right, Chris Herring, you got to go. Welcome back to ESPN. I will see you around. Congratulations on Michigan. Hail to the victors, and uh, Thanks, I will see you around, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. As always, it's always really fun to talk to you.